Well, as Thomas said, it's now time for Mona Mancara to talk to us about her adventures. And I love the fact that Mona may be a chemist or may be a chemist to have a chemistry PhD, but she's also so involved in things outside of chemistry and inside of just life, um, take, taking those challenges and making those challenges work. And yay for the Holman Prize. So thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, so like welcome everyone. I hope everybody's having a wonderful day. Um there've been some pretty awesome discussions. Okay, so so I don't know how you guys are doing questions, but I I personally don't mind if you guys interject and ask me questions as I go along. I'll talk about my project, Plain Chains and Canes, how I got how how I, what it is, how I came about doing it, and my kind of experiences. And I really want to open it up to questions because it's a lot to be just talking by yourself for like a whole hour. So, um, so as she already told you, my name is Mona Mankara. I'm a professor of bioengineering actually at Northeastern University. My PhD is in chemistry. I love science. I am always curious about the world. And that's kind of been my underlying element. You know, I'm always curious about what the world holds. And so a few years ago now, maybe three or four, um, I was invited to be a judge for the Holman Prize, which is a prize put out by the Lighthouse for the Blind San Francisco. It's an awesome prize. It's for blind ambition. And it's basically for anybody out there who is blind, who has some kind of ambitious idea that breaks boundaries. Um, you can submit, you, you know, basically create a little YouTube video, you put it up there and then you can submit your application. And if you win, you win $25,000. So I was invited to be a judge and I was like, sure. Why not? Like, well, cool. I went out to San Francisco and they had the awesome pre- pleasure of reading all these phenomenal applications. Right. And it was just amazing to see what the blind community was doing globally, because this is open for anyone um, in the world. And, you know, we ended up choosing these three amazing, you know, applicants, one guy who um, proposed kayaking across the Bosphorus independently as a, as a blind individual, another guy who in Uganda, um, who basically offered like proposed teaching other blind people to beekeep as a form of sustainable living, which I I would love to go and check that out and learn how to beekeep. And then finally, um, a lady from um, the UK who um, wanted to create basically a TV show about, you know, showing like her cooking and teaching people how to cook. And it was just really great. And that was like a groundbreaking um, moment for me. Because I remember flying back and being like, well, if I had the opportunity to apply, what would I, what would I do? And, you know, I landed and I was like, I know what I would do. I would highlight public transportation. And then I was like, wait, but that's not like intriguing enough. Like, what is it that I really want people to see? And I was like, I really want people to see that blind individuals, if they want to have the right to explore. So that's how the idea for planes, trains, and canes came about. And so the concept is I traveled to five different cities across the world and 
in each of those cities. I navigated using only public transportation and I traveled independently. So yes, I had a camera woman, woman following me, but she could not talk to me. So I could not talk to her. She could not talk to me. I didn't even know where she was most of the time. And that's the idea I proposed. And I actually won. And that was surprising. Like, I can't believe I won. And it was in the middle of the same year that I was applying to be faculty. I was like, I'm going to do this for fun. You know, just the dream. And it was phenomenal. The way they broke the news to me, they were like, oh, Mona, like, we need to meet with you. Like, I was a finalist. They're like, we have more questions. And like, on the call, basically, <laughs> it was Brian Bashan, um, the CEO of the Lighthouse of the Blind, was on there and Christina Daniels. And they were like, we have more questions for you. I was like, okay. They were like, we need to tell you that there were so many applicants across the world who submitted and it was very competitive and i was like okay here here it comes the rejection's coming and then and then basically they're like so congratulations and i like flipped out i was like i can't believe i won this and that was i found that out in july of 2019 and my whole proposed project was i basically did all of my travels right before covid hit which was unbelievable timing like you know who knew we were going to enter a pandemic um and the project began and it was um it was a very fascinating experience so the five cities that i went to are johannesburg london istanbul singapore and tokyo and part of the reason is i wanted to explore as many continents as possible as many cultures as possible and you know different public transportation systems and Johannesburg was my first trip. And so what, what happened is everything kind of unrolled naturally. I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Like, I'm going to put it out there, guys. I genuinely did not know. Um, I didn't realize how much editing would be, you know, as a, as a difficulty. <laughs> and, you know, I got my, uh, my friend, Natalie Guzzi, who was the cameraman, and we got equipment. We did a little bit of research, and I was like, let's go. And Johannesburg was the first city. And, you know, we learned a lot. And so in Johannesburg, it was a very, um, I think what really stuck out to me for an experience in Johannesburg is I, I felt like I learned the power of determination. And so, you know, I was determined to try to do this, to connect. I wanted to experience also traveling as independently as possible. Again, I'm all for like the choice. Like sometimes I took airport assistance, sometimes I didn't. But I was like, I'm going to take on the challenge of connecting in Atlanta. And I don't know for any of you guys that are out there, Atlanta airport is crazy busy and huge. But I did it, you know, and I basically made it all the way to the hotel in Johannesburg. And that was extremely edifying for me. And I, I learned a little bit more about myself. And, you know, I got to explore Johannesburg. And then in London, there was um, this concept of the power of choice. I was really... Um, faced by systematic, uh, I don't know what to call it, but basically the systems, like the second I landed in Heathrow and I went to the train station, like I was told that I could not travel independently. And, you know, there, there's a really iconic scene, you guys can watch it in, in London where I'm actually kind of debating with the, the head of the train station guy, the manager there. 
And I was like, well, I should have the choice. And he was like, you don't have a choice. And I was like, why? Cause just because I'm blind. And then he was like, yeah, you never had the choice. And it was just like a really um, raw conversation for me. It was, you know, after an overnight flight and like, I had to do this, it was, um, it was, you know, it was very difficult because I was faced immediately by how society perceived me as a blind person. And that kind of came up a few times in London. You know, there's a lot of um, inherent systems there. And it was emotionally draining. I thought before I went on all these trips, I thought like Istanbul and Tokyo would be the hardest because they don't speak English. But emotionally speaking, London was the hardest for me. Istanbul was completely different. People like when you said, no, thank you, they left you alone. When you said, please help, they helped you. It was just like really basic human connection. And so like in um, Istanbul, I discovered the power of human connection and how my, my world expanded. So actually through cool editing, I had the idea of kind of, you know, whenever I connected with a human being, you know, we went from a pinhole image to like a bigger image because the reality is we don't need eyesight to really connect with the world around us. We need, we can do other, we can connect through other ways. And that was um, the cool thing about Istanbul. Istanbul was very um, awesome for me. And then I went to Singapore and Singapore was kind of like neutral. They had a lot of cool systems in place. Um, Their train stations were really set up nicely, but their bus systems not as good. And then Tokyo guys, Tokyo was, it was the power of technology. It was unbelievable. I basically was in accessible heaven. I, everything had cane guides. Cane guides are like ridges in the ground and they were all the way from the train stations to the sidewalks. They would turn right at the, where you need to stand to catch a bus. It was just unbelievable detail from that to the tra- to the sounds they had audio. I call them like audio landscapes. If you were near an exit in the train station, you'd hear a chirping bird, and that would indicate that you're near an exit. If you're walking and you hear the sound of running water, you knew that you're near bathrooms. It was just, like, unbelievable. They had different sounds for crossing the street north-south versus east-west. So, like, you even knew which cardinal direction you were facing. (laughs) It was every train line had a different melody. So, like, I would stand there and be like, oh, my God, that's the Ginza line or that's the Marinochi line. And I just knew from the melody. Um, And it was just I felt so comfortable navigating in Tokyo. They even had I came across an information booth in which they had entire booklets on the most accessible pathways for people in wheelchairs, for people who are blind, for people who are deaf. It was just like they had thought of everything. Um, and it was very clear that they needed to sorry please excuse that Um, (laughs) it was really clear that they needed to because there's so many people who use public transportation every day like you know hundreds of thousands of individuals that you couldn't have somebody slowing up everybody right so they they thought of everything and you know if you needed help it was very like clear where you need to go to get the help it was just like unbelievable so overall i felt like throughout my journey um i learned a lot more about myself i learned what real mental freedom was because it really is a state of mind um and i became really comfortable with not knowing and i became really comfortable with getting lost so i don't know um 
if we can open it up to questions, like what is something that some of you guys would be interested in learning more about? I think the whole the whole aspect of London being on one end of the continuum, solving the problem by making you have a minder, and Tokyo being on the other end, letting you make your decisions is just fascinating. It was fascinating and that I got to experience that all in one trip. You know, I actually um, went to Johannesburg separately just as a test. It was my first city. And then we went from London to Tokyo all in one trip. And it was just like amazingly different. Different, Like even in London, there was um, a scene. I wish I had caught it on camera where I'm flying to London and the lady goes, oh, it seems like you have a caretaker. So I won't I won't like show you the emergency, like the, the emergency exit, like she'll take care of you. And I was like, what? <laughs> and like, even my friend, Natalie, who is an amazing um, friend and, you know, camera woman, she, she trusts me. She followed me. She did not double check where I was going ever. She was there to just be the camera woman. She never interjected except for once when a car almost run me over in Johannesburg. And even then, like, you know, it was just because, you know, she saw it unfolding in front of her. That was it. And, you know, she was upset on my behalf when that lady on the airplane, when the flight attendant said that to me. <laughs> that's such a British attitude. I mean, it really I, is. I, 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 and I think that that's, you know, that probably underlies much of their whole system of, of, uh, of uh, adaptation and blindness issues over there. Yeah, which actually, um, like you bring up a really good point. So I was like, is this just me when I got to London? Like, are they, am I like sticking out like a foreigner? Like I, I wanted to know. So I ended up actually meeting up with red cell who was a previous Holman prize winner. And he was like, no, this is like, that was his story too. And he told me about how he felt when he came to America. Like he was just shocked. He was like, people leave you alone unless you ask for help. And then like, they'll help you. He's like in London, they'll, for like they'll take you across the street even if you didn't want to cross the street <laughs> like there's this really a sense of we are all kind of babies or something you know like very patronizing hi Sarita I'd like to ask uh, a question of our our speaker yeah, hello. it sounds yeah. like you had a wonderful experience I, I would love to have been uh, your shadow in that in your travels but I'm curious when you uh I'm curious about your experiences being in, like, Japan, for instance, yeah. how they viewed you any differently from being in a, a Muslim country. Uh, because I, I, I know there are differences in attitudes culturally with regards to how they view people with disabilities. So could you speak so a little bit about, about like, that? in Japan? So I was told about some of that, but because I think I was there for such a short time, I I feel like I really didn't get to experience the depth of perception. But okay. on the outset, people tend to kind of leave you alone in Japan unless you ask. Like if you stand there and be like, "Excuse me," like people will stop and help. They're very polite. Okay. Um, there was so if even if they had some kind of opinion, I feel like it was kept to themselves. You know, there's no outward blockage at all um mm -hmm. on the outside but again like i don't know what's going on inside their heads right um in london it was very overt and in istanbul i felt like there was a little bit of reverence related to blindness 
which mm. is actually kind of interesting. Yeah, I did not experience that. So I'm actually Muslim myself. Um, and like, I thought I was actually going to have difficulty in Istanbul because I thought that like things were not going to be as systemized as well. And I don't speak the language, mm-hmm. but people seem to go out of their way to figure out a way to help me in Istanbul. It was, it was really interesting. Like there's a really funny scenes in which people are just talking at me in Turkish and I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, um, but in Istanbul, there's a really great scene where I'm standing there trying to find the hotel and I'm tired. I just came off the flight. I'm exhausted and I'm just a little bit despondent, right? I'm like running out of energy. I'm just standing there with my suitcase and my cane and I'm like, oh, where is this hotel? And out of the blue, this guy in a taxi cab gets out of his car, comes to me, starts talking to me in Turkish. I'm like, I don't know, like, hi, hi. Like, I just like say the name of the hotel. And then he like taps my left arm and says 15 meters and then taps my left arm and then goes back hmm. into the cab and drives away. Okay, great, great. I was like, what is if- that? That is amazing, you know? <laughs> if-, if you had the opportunity to duplicate this trip or to take another, you know, journey similar to this, what would you do differently in terms of preparing yourself? I would not squeeze as many cities at at the same time. I definitely would want to experience other different cultures. Um, Yeah. Those would be the two main things. I I squeezed a lot. I was very exhausted by the end of my trip and I would really i think we learned so we had a lot of difficulty that people would just um be really confused at natalie like why she's holding a camera pointing it at me um so we learned that she needs to like stay further away um the big camera intimidated people like we would maybe find a smaller camera um so natalie can blend into the crowds more um so we learned a lot about that is is the video available for someone to to view uh, of your travels? Oh, yeah. they're, all on, they're all on YouTube, and every video is closed captioned and audio described. Awesome, okay. awesome. There is not even a version of them not being audio described. So a lot of friends, when they were like, "Why is this guy describing everything?" I'm like, "Guys, this is audio description. It's part of it's so it's fully accessible." Okay, great. My daughter is a is a video videographer. And uh, wow, I'm going to get cool. her to look at that with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. So everything right. is accessible. Thank you very much. Mona, you. Mona, I have seen some of your videos. They're great. I, I'm just curious, when you went to Japan, did you prepare ahead of time? Or how did you learn what all the different sounds meant? Very good question. I actually did not prepare ahead of time. Um, the system was so logical that I kind of figured it out as I went along. So there's wow. even the scene where I'm like, wait this is a different melody. What do you guys think it is? And then I'm like, Oh my God, it's a different train lines. So, um, I even, there's a scene where I come across other Americans and they're like, we start talking about like, what are these different sounds means mean? Hmm. And so, um, I was aware and I I figured it out and it like unfolds throughout the episode. That's fabulous. Thank you. You're welcome. Mark, please. Yeah, hi. It's a pleasure to meet a, a YouTube star. I was going to say TV star, but... Well, I'm not a YouTube star. Like, I don't have enough views. <laughs> well, I, I, whatever. I, I'm one of your Twitter followers, and I, I, I don't think I've seen the Johannesburg 
episodes. But yeah, I, 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 I'm, and, and it's interesting. I, I, you also had to surprise me when you spoke the Arabic. I think to the guy in Istanbul. And yes, that was that a probably really surprising. Surprise, yeah. The guys, you, do, um, how did you know? Is Arabic? Do you speak Arabic? No, no, so, no. I just you, I, I, maybe the closed caption did it, or the the uh, yeah. the audio description. I, well, you you know, he understood you. Yeah, so that was kind of uh, uh, I was like, okay, I'm tapping into my like resources, right? Like I was like, he spoke to me in Arabic, and I like, what? What? He knows Arabic? Yeah, that was kind of a a very funny yeah. scene. I, I'm I'm wondering, um, you know, in my experience, you know, had there not been a person following you with the camera, you know, your companion or caretaker, what your experience might have been. Um, and then I guess it, I, I haven't traveled anywhere outside the United States. But, my, you know, if you were in downtown Pittsburgh and you said, oh, is this the way to, you know, is this Smithfield? Yeah, people would probably tell you whatever in washington yeah. dc i'm um or been there and i'm like is this the bus stop and there are people there and they're not talking to me they don't you know they, i guess you yes. don't engage yes. with strangers and i go some they have to speak english to know you know hello i need some help and is this the right am i at the right bus stop um my other experience was in atlanta and I'd ask, you know, just to confirm, you know, directions or is this the escalator to wherever, you know, getting out of the, the subway. And they'd say, people would say, oh, I'm on my lunch hour. I'll walk you to the hotel. No problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. Other yeah. than hospitality. So, you know, you've we, we got the, even in the United States, you've got, you know, I just wonder Different if it's cultures. the time at the people or the city or, you know, do you you know, are they wary of strangers or whatever? You know, so you're. In, I wonder what your experience would be in a a smaller community or whatever. But it was very interesting. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I it. I enjoyed like, your show. So, I, thank you, thank you very much. I feel like Mark. Um, so you bring up two two good points. How how does the culture differ? That's why I use public transportation, right? I could have easily Ubered everywhere, but then that's not. It's not me interacting with the culture. So I felt like London was more like your example of DC, right? Um, th- we even cut a lot of those scenes. I just would walk and be like, excuse me, excuse me. And no, like people would just walk by, apparently look at me and ignore me, right? <laughs> and then on the other hand, I got the, I got the like, why are you by yourself as a blind person in London? But then in Istanbul, it was like completely different. Like both Istanbul and Tokyo um, people just, they would stop, you know? And of course, I think sometimes you get just individual personalities of people wanting to answer versus not. So it's kind of like playing Russian roulette, I suppose. But the second point that you brought up, which is about like um, Natalie following me and how's that? So we actually ended up, we learned from London, we actually ended up doing a really good job of having her like be really far out. So she, she would look like just a really enthusiastic tourist. Just capturing you incidentally. Not like, yeah. uh, I yeah. mean, you know, if far enough stare, away that she couldn't intervene far enough away that you did, you didn't look like you were traveling together. And, and yeah, then I, I remember the one episode was it the, the guy gave you the wrong directions. Oh, go up the yes. escalator and whatever. And you, and you wonder what was that about? 
yeah, I mean, I think that people mishear you or they misinterpret or, you know, I think that just like a sighted person, I feel like sometimes sighted people get wrong directions from other sighted people. It's just like, like, why did you just tell me this? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was, I don't know. It was definitely one very interesting experience. I came in thinking London would be my easiest city because they speak English and the systems oh, yeah. are, in my mind, not that different from the United States. And I thought Istanbul would be one of my hardest cities. And it, it was like the opposite. So that was really a fascinating exploration I, there. I wonder if anybody has seen cane guides. I have no, you know, these ridges. I've never seen those anywhere in my travels in the United yeah, States. Yeah, they're not, they're not in the United States. And they're so cool. They are so amazingly cool. You're just like, they're grooves in the ground. Right, you put your cane and you just follow it. So imagine, and in Tokyo they had cane guides around construction sites. So like you were completely set in this foreign area. Everything was just oriented very clearly. Amazing. amazing. And then my other question I, I might have asked was, um, they had the sounds of the water, so you knew where the restroom was. But did you? Is it a men's room or a ladies' room? So uh, when you get closer, right, um, you had actual, like, people saying, like, toilet in Japanese. I don't speak Japanese, so I didn't understand. But I presume it was announcing them. And then they also had the Braille signs. Okay. Interesting. So it was Very enjoyable. I hope, you, I hope in the post-COVID world you can do some more places. Yeah, we're hoping to get more views so that we can – possibly convince people to fund us for a season two. I mean, I don't know what you guys think, but I feel like we don't, we need to bring more light to like issues like that. I've had people tell me that, I mean, I hope you guys think so, but that they're funny and um, like that might be like a good way to get the message across, like in a funny way. Um, so yeah. Oh, no, this so definitely is, uh, like and su- subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Hello. I have, I have a, Hey, I have a couple comments and a question. Uh, yes. Uh, comment based on what you just said. It it would be interesting if you went to five cities in the United States, even. And- I agree. I agree. I have Minnesota. Like that was my um, proposal was Minneapolis. So mm-hmm. I have that small. I have some of that footage. Maybe we'll make an episode out of that. Yeah, and uh, we need more humans like your camera woman. They, yes, she sounds, she sounds like a terrific example. Uh, you know, because it if yeah, you know, it, it goes back to that uh, having that default respect that all humans should get and yeah. uh and, and gee we just need more of those kind of humans <laughs> in the world yeah she just respects me and trusts me like she followed yeah. my lead she and gives you she... a lot of rope right you know she's she's not gonna let you she hang does, yourself she but she's gonna <laughs> yeah okay yeah you know yeah. like that's, so, yeah. that's the thing but that's that yeah, just just dealing with people it's i can only i mean it, clearly it wasn't hard for her but it's it, it would be so hard for a lot of people to do that yep Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. to stay out of the way and not, I mean, because she could have easily found the hotel for you, for example, and that you know, yes. but that, but it's just, it was pretty neat to that uh, dichotomy, I guess, is the right word for it or something. Uh, so my question is, um, what uh, what went into the five cities you chose, uh, and were there other cities that you considered, or yeah, you know, how did how did that go, and what what how did you choose the cities you chose? What made them better or worse or whatever? So. That's a really good question. I do have to admit from the onset 
Singapore was just on there because of the Marina Bay Sands Hotel. So I don't think I should do that in the future. Uh, but I was like, I want to go to that hotel. Um, so that was Singapore. Tokyo, I had heard it was really accessible. I didn't do much research. I just heard it. I was like, I've heard this. We'll go. Right. So I heard that Tokyo was really accessible. London, I chose because I had been there before and I want, I had the same interaction before. There was nobody to, there to capture it. And I was like, maybe I can capture it on camera and open a conversation. So that was London. Johannesburg was because I wanted a city in Africa um, and I had never been to Johannesburg. So I wanted to hit that continent and Istanbul because I wanted, um, and I felt like we can bridge really nicely between London and Singapore on my travels. And I wanted kind of a city that was um, also a different kind of cultural background and continent. So that's kind of how I chose them. There wasn't like much insight. Like the next five that I would do, we're actually strategizing right now how to choose. And would you prepare differently? Would you do more research? Would you? I would, would do more research. Weigh it like you did. No, I would do a little bit more research because I feel like um, we got an amazing episode in London because of my knowledge of London. Um, so I would do a little bit more research on public transportation, but that's about it. You know, like part of it. I think is the awesomeness of figuring it out on the spot. Yep. Like it's like, are you resourceful? That, that's very empowering when you were like, Oh my God, I figured it out. I didn't think I could like, mm-hmm. yeah. it's even cooler when you can demonstrate that to other people who you know, may not be as clueful as they could and, be or should be. Yeah. And I was really, I'm not going to lie. I was really self-conscious, especially in Johannesburg. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I don't want to look like an idiot. Like, I, like, I don't want to look foolish that I'm not figuring things out, even though like it's in front of me. And then by the end of like my whole project, I just did not care at all about how I appeared. <laughs> so Wanda please. Hi. Um, did you use any technology like GPS or I know you wouldn't have used Ira that would have defeated the purpose, but did you use things like GPS or, uh, Google Maps yes. or yes, I used Google Maps. That was my main mode of depending on things. Right. And so the compass. You... I used the compass <laughs> way more than I thought I'd ever use a compass. <laughs> like Isn't I'm like, amazing? wow, I'm using my compass on my phone. Like what? Isn't it amazing the low tech things that come in handy? Yes, yeah. It was it was pretty it was pretty great. That's how I figured out that it was a different sound in Tokyo, north, south versus east, west. Right? So like I lined my compass and I was like, oh my god, like you know. So yeah. So yeah. Like your iPhone or how did you how did you Yeah, I just had my iPhone and I have T Mobile, so I had service in all those places. It wasn't always good service, so there are scenes that are hilarious where I'm like trying to navigate and it's like, uh oh, last connection. Uh oh, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do now? And so then the next best thing is like asking people around, you know, be like, hello, excuse me, like, where's this road? <laughs> like, so yeah. Yeah. Just, just curious about that. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good question. Nothing fancy. Hello. Uh, You're really a very energetic person. 
I, <laughs> yes. I, th- I, I, I bet there are people that, even if you're not traveling anywhere, would say, wow, I really got to be on my toes to keep up with you. So I, I admire that aspect of you. Uh, you. I wondered uh, what decisions you made once you got to a given city. Um, did you decide what degree of contact did you want to have with other uh, blind or visually impaired people who had, you know, who live there and keep notes and see if they're experiencing the same things as you did? Or did you decide, no, I'm just going to do whatever my itinerary is going to be and not let that uh, affect my observations? That is what I did, actually. The second thing is, like, I I wanted to form my observations myself. Um, But you bring up a really awesome point, which is if we ever do this again, I would want to reach out to, like, blind schools or, like, different, like, blind individuals in those areas because it was really cool for me to talk to Red Cell at the end of my trip. That was, um, like, a really great conversation. Um. So, yeah, but I wanted to form my opinion on my own, you know? I wanted to really experience this without bias. Thank you. You're welcome. Mona, are you based out of Boston? I am, yes. I'm in Boston right now. Yeah, I'm in Boston, too, so we'll have to catch up. I I want to talk to you about the MBTA. Yes, I actually would love to create a um, an episode about Boston. Like that would be something I would love to do. But because of COVID right now, we're yeah, I'm, I'm not really writing of, the team. Uh, I'm the co-chair of the accessibility group um, representing people with disabilities at the MBTA. So really, we yeah. definitely need to talk. Yeah, we definitely need to talk for sure. And Northeastern is also my alma mater. So definitely. Wow, I just like had a um, I just one a little bit like i've been pushing the city to install a more safe like cro- talking crosswalk like i don't even have one on mass Ave in columbus mm-hmm. i almost got hit twice there so i'm like guys like this traffic pattern is not safe and they're yeah. gonna do it so it's awesome terrific laura please yes hi i have a quick uh quick comment i have a blind son who lives in new york city and i just wanted to mention that they do now have cane guides in some of the subway stations in New York. Really? Yes, they're working on it. So hopefully that will catch on and spread. That's amazing. That would be the first I heard of it for the United States. Yeah. After Tokyo, when I came back to Boston, I was like, so, I was like, oh man, like we're so behind. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, I know they they have them in Brooklyn. And I think as they probably, as they redo the subway systems, the stations, they will hopefully be putting more in. That's, That's interesting. I, I went to the seeing eye. I just went there to get a dog and they actually oh. have one of those cane strips there. Um, they put it in there just for training purposes, but it's, it's interesting that they actually have one there. Yeah. Well, there was you've probably a lot of you have seen the show on the, the blind architect in uh, oh Chicago area or someplace. And I know he is pushing that sort of thing. So hopefully the word is getting out and these things will spread. That's awesome. Well, that's something that we need to do here in Pennsylvania, isn't it? Like Philadelphia and Pittsburgh can just get on with the program, huh? For the for the for the subway, the T and the and the subway. I mean, I would love to see Boston like fitted out the way Tokyo was. Are you kidding? That would be like a dream. 
can you imagine if the DC Metro did it with all of those lines that go, you know, when you have to think, but anyway. Foggy bottom, yes. <laughs> Mona, I want to get you a meeting with the head of system-wide accessibility at the T, at the NBTV. I, I, I want to show them. I want to show them that. That would, like, that would okay. be a really, really cool meeting, but it Mark, would be. Mark, please. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I wonder what your experience would be if you had a guide dog and maybe in the Muslim countries that would be a, a disadvantage. And then the other thing that um, would be um, if you had the IRA or, you know, using the technology, an IRA agent who could read the Japanese signs. So, but then maybe well, that would be a commercial for them. But But they don't have IRA in Japan, right? Yeah. Just wonder what your comments I've never are. Used, yeah, I've more, never used. Yeah, i using more technology. You know, relying. Could you read the signs? Could you? I know there was a pitfall, but it was in Japan. You couldn't use the. Uh, was it, the uh, it was inside of um, a restaurant, so they were yeah. really accessible uh, about getting around. But in the restaurant, there was a lot of like vending machines and automated processes. And none of those automated processes were accessible. So, for example, we went to a ramen shop, and the way you ordered, it was like a panel, a wall of like different panel buttons, and you pick out like what you want to order. And they're apparently images, and I, none of it was accessible to me. So, you press the buttons, you put in your credit card, you swipe it, and then they give you a receipt, and then you sit down and they give you your food. So, like, it was completely automated or the sushi there was an automated sushi place oh, like all of that was also similar like it was just like buttons you press what you want and it brings it to you on a conveyor belt so like none of that was accessible but getting there was accessible so it's, it's interesting but back to what you're saying about the seeing eye dog i think that like um so there's different things i feel I feel like the seeing eye dog in the Muslim countries might be a really interesting um, discussion to happen, but I feel like I feel like honestly that would be an amazing Plain Strains and Canes episode, right? Like bring somebody with a seeing eye dog and see what happens. But um, I feel like somewhere like something like Istanbul, it wouldn't be as big of an issue. Like it, I feel like it would be more of an issue in like smaller rural areas because it's becoming more like. People are like you having dogs as pets more, more and more in places in in larger cities like Istanbul or Beirut, Lebanon, which is where my family goes. We go to Lebanon every summer, and there's you know people are getting dogs as pets now, so it's not as odd. But I think if we went out into the rural areas, it would be more odd. Hi, this is Rose. I had oh, I'm sorry, Rick. No, go ahead, Rose. Oh, okay. Sorry. Hopefully my Bluetooth's not going to die right now. Um, I just had a question. I actually traveled to Europe for the first time in 2019 in the summer. And I was there for the Women's World Cup for soccer. So I didn't have a ton of time. I was with my sighted sister and her boyfriend. So it wasn't a lot of time to explore. But I did notice right off the bat, like in when we were in Dublin, you know, the traffic signal was so much more you know you could hear it over the noise it was adjustable and it was like a cartoon sound and I was just like wow isn't that a simple thing that could be adopted that's much more clear and distinctive and then things like we were walking around the store in the airport in Paris killing time and my sister said wait come here all this is in braille and of course I couldn't read it it was French but all the boxes of band-aids and medicines all had labels and I was just floored so 
And then I think that they noticed what they thought might have been a king guide, but we were running for a bus, so we didn't have time. But I was just curious, thinking about bigger cities and stations, how is how do you know, you know, if they correspond to different lines or what routes, if it's, you know, a busy station, is there a way to, to distinguish those and to know which one you want to follow? You mean for the cane guide? I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I haven't yet, like, really experienced, like, a cane guide leading to multiple things. So at least in Tokyo, um, you'd have one platform and it would serve multiple train lines, that same platform. And so you would know which train you're getting on based on the melody of the train. Okay. But, like, it. so I didn't know. But, like, it's really cool that you bring up the, the audible um, cross, the talking crosswalk. Because in London, though, it was really bizarre. There, I noticed that there were no talking crosswalks anywhere. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why aren't any talking crosswalks? So I asked Red Cell and he basically pointed out that instead of talking crosswalks, they put something called like a tactile crosswalk. And I had no idea. Like if I hadn't asked, I would have never ex- discovered it. But you, there's like a little knob that twirls that you have to find to know when to cross in London. And I was like, I don't know. I, I was not very impressed by that particular piece. I was like, how would I ever know if I wasn't like a citizen of here? Um, But you know, other places had like Braille, like you're talking about like the pharmacy in London had Braille on some of the, the items. So that was really cool. Chris, how are we doing on time? Uh, well, I guess our business meeting is at one, but I'm sure people want to take a break. So at some point. So we got a couple more questions. If you yeah. want to keep okay. going. No, Joseph, just a couple more. Yeah. Joseph, please. Hi, thank you. With the with the cane guide, if if you have your the end of your cane in the in this groove and it's just staying there, are you leaving yourself either unprotected? And depending upon how tall someone is or how long the the cane is, is do you run the risk that some people are going to be? too far over and in the middle of someone's path because the cane is a long cane and they're a much taller person. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no problem. Um, so I honestly didn't feel like it was exposed because the, the cane guide is usually like three or four grooves wide. So like there's multiple grooves and then, um, people, like other people like avoid you as you're walking on this cane guide. It's almost like you have the right of way along that path. So it was extremely convenient. And Will, please. Hi. Um, so I travel often with my wife. She's, she's still working. I'm retired and we live outside of Philadelphia. So uh, whenever she has a conference somewhere, I, I travel with her. And um, so it's interesting. We get to the city or town to do like a, early so we can do a pre-trip and I can get the lay of the land. But then comes the dreaded day when I'm on my own. And I mean, I'm really on my own because she's at the conference. And so I have to figure out what to do to, to fill that day because I certainly don't want to spend it in a hotel room. So I often look for things that I figure are, are manageable and, and relatively safe to do. So oftentimes I, I will go to an art museum. Uh, for for example, in Vancouver, there was one right right across the street from the motel that we stayed at, hotel that we stayed at. Um, however, of course, the art museum experience is not what it used to be for me. 
Uh, I often think of going to like the public library in a big city because they, they can often be interesting and have uh, interesting things to do. So my question really is, what kinds of things did you think of to do while you were in these locations um, very, very that would question. add to your experience, that would enrich your experience? Because, because it is change because of your, your visual um, loss, but at the same time, there, you can look for other ways to, to have a valuable and enriching experience. And so I wonder what you think of when you're, yeah. when you're in that location. That's an awesome question. So I usually have a few go-tos and all my friends would know this because I'm a little bit like funny about that. I love tour buses. Okay. Like I love your hop on, hop off, double decker. You sit upstairs outside if it's good weather, like basic tour bus where you go around and they're like, here, we're in this area and this is the history of this area. Like that part, like just, I love it even though I can't see the areas, I'm just like, I'm getting an understanding of the city, you know, from a historical lens. I really like doing that. I really like going to um, museums, even though maybe not as much art museums, but some of the art museums, like the MSJ here in Boston has done a really great job, like describing all the pieces. But um, I really like, I love learning history. I love walking tours. So like, I'll go by myself and find myself like a walking tour. And then like, I'll just like chat with the guide, you know, I'll just like walk with them and like, you know, make a new friend. Um, I really like doing that and uh, experiencing food. So every place I went to in, in Plains, Trains and Canes, I had like three major things that I made sure I did. Number one, how do I get to the hotel? Number two, to a restaurant. And number three, to my tour bus. Like I always did a hop on hop off. So yeah, mm. I really like history a lot. So I love learning and I love walking tours. Like, because you know, you're with a group, like what we like, you're not going to really get lost. So you just tell the tour guide like, Hey, like I'm blind, but I really want to experience this. Like, you know, you make yourself a new friend and it's really cool. That's been one of my experiences too, that like when you're in a big city, uh, you pretty much can cross the streets with the crowd. <laughs> Just follow the exactly. crowd, and you'll get across the street. Um, one of the, one of the things I did was I identified a relatively big man who looked like he could have been an offensive tackle in American football, and I followed him for about three blocks, figuring he was leading the way. You know veering everybody off to the side and I was right behind him with my white cane just walking behind he didn't he didn't know it until eventually we got to a street and I said to him uh, if you've heard me following you along here's the reason why <laughs> which he then immediately veered into the next office building so hopefully that was his building I don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I so I can't even identify like people but I I can hear the crowds um, and that's like that's good that gives a lot of like audio information and deductive skills but i really like um tour buses okay, i even like folks i i think it's getting to be that time yep, nice. we've got, got everybody covered chris okay so i think it's the end of this session although i certainly am going to go and watch all this stuff again yeah please I'm like and subscribe thank you <laughs>